0: Chains Chapter 16 by Laurie Halsey Anderson Sunday, June 23, 1776 Ruth fell asleep quick that night, my arms around her. I had washed out the blood from her kerchief and hung it to dry. There was a lump on her head, but it would go away. Madam's threats would not. I slowly pulled my arm out from under my sister. She sighed and curled into a tiny ball. I had pondered the problem all day and half the night. No matter how many times I turned it around, I found the same answer. We had to flee the city. I sat up and pulled the blanket over Ruth, tucking it under her feet to keep them warm. The wings that could spirit us away were hidden in the master's desk. I had to take the list. It would buy us our freedom. But Bellingham would not listen, not after the incident with the linen chest. I had to deliver it straight to the army. The sound I had been waiting for broke through. The low r- roar of Master Lockton's snores, starting up just as the grandfather clock chimed midnight. I put on my skirt and made my way to the bottom of the stairs. The hour was upon me. Twas time to act. The moon was my friend. I lit up the library enough for me to make my way without stumbling into anything. The snuff jar stood on the corner of the desk. I held my breath as I lifted the lid, put my hand inside, and slowly pulled out the keys. I crouched behind the desk and examined them in the moonlight. Only one was small enough to fit into the top drawer's lock. I inserted the key and turned it gently to the right. There was a dull clunk. The drawer slid open a hair. I forced myself to remain still and count to twenty. Lockton's snores continued above, regular as waves crashing against the side of a ship. I pulled open the drawer and peered inside. It was crowded with abandoned quills, a rusty box, and a few coins and pound notes, which I was sore tempted to take. I felt through the drawer with careful fingers. What had he done with the list? Was it in his coat pocket? I reached into the back of the drawer and pulled out a black hair ribbon. Had it given? Had he given it to Goldbottoms for safekeeping? There, from the far, farthest reach of the drawer, I pulled out a single sheet, folded once. I held it up to the light and quickly read. It was a list of names with the mayor's at the bottom. He had titled it "Committee to Preserve the King's Peace." I tucked the paper in my pocket, tied it tight, and slipped it under the waistband of my skirt where it could not be seen. I closed and relocked the drawer, then carefully returned the keys to their hiding place. I tiptoed back through the house and slipped outside, quiet as a ghost. The air was hot and dripping, as if the city were wrapped in a wool blanket just pulled from a boiling pot. I made my way along the street, seen only by cats, rats, and a slave hurrying by with a bundle on her head. Since she carried a lantern, and no doubt had a pass from her master, she was allowed to be out walking after dark. I was not. The woman said nothing as she passed by me, but started singing the second verse of Yankee Doodle in a strong voice, which I thought was curious indeed. I listened close to the words. "'Father and I went down to camp along with Captain Gooding, and there we saw the men and boys as thick as heavy pudding.' She was sending me a message. I dove behind a log barricade just as two soldiers turned the corner, talking intently to each other and sweeping the street with their eyes. I had a quick prayer of thanks to the singing woman for her help. When the echoes of the soldiers' boots had vanished, I moved on, staying away from the lights of the sentry fires, passing under the dark shadow of King George's statue in the bowling green, and hurrying to my destination. The battery was the fort at the southern tip of the island, with high walls and cannons that pointed over the water to discourage enemies. It was headquarters of the Patriot Army in New York. Even if General Washington was elsewhere, here I could find an officer who would understand the value of the list. I marched past the rows of tents set up on the grounds outside of the fort, trying very hard to ignore the men and boys who stared as I walked by. As I neared the gate, a sentry stepped out and blocked my way. "'Do you have a pass, girl?' I swallowed hard and tried to remember the name of the colonel who worked with Master Bellingham. "'Fagan, Jaden, McRaden, and, um, well,' a few other soldiers drinking coffee outside of their tents had stopped talking to observe. "'Please, sir,' I said, polite and firm, "'I've come with an urgent message for Regan, for Colonel Regan, sir.' tell me, and I'll see that he gets it. "'I cannot,' I said. "'I must deliver it to him personally, sir. Who's your master?' Telling a lie would not benefit me. "'A loyalist, sir, who would beat me bloody if he knew I was here.' He looked me over and yawned. "'Come on, then. I could do with a walk to keep me awake.' I followed him inside, past a room of men sleeping on the floor, along a hall into a small room where a low fire smoldered into the hearth, a chair drawn up before it. The moonlight had broke free of the clouds again and lay in grey pools beneath the windows. A table stood by the door, where a heavy-set man scratched on a piece of paper, his work lit by a half-dozen candle stubs that would soon burn out. The soldier drew himself up to his full height, "'This girl has a message, sir. Claims it must be delivered in person.' <clears throat> the man lifted a hand in the air and continued with what he was writing. I tried to make out what it was, but his scribble was dreadful bad. Finally he laid down his quill, moved his speckles, spectacles uh, high on his nose, and peered through them at me. "'What is it?' he rasped. His voice sounded raw, like a like he had been run against a grater. An onion poultice was tied around his neck. I dropped in a polite curtsy. I have information for Colonel Regan. Who sent you? Who is your master? I cannot say. Then who will vouch for you? Ah, I vouch for myself, sir. I am new in the city and know only a boy named Curson. One caterpillar eyebrow lifted upon the glasses as he recognized the name. Bellingham's cursing. <clears throat> <coughs> he coughed loudly and sprayed drops of spittle on the page. He <clears throat> He's all bluster. He dripped his quill in the inkpot pot and, c- and continued to write. Take her away, Sergeant. I'm too busy for this. <clears throat> my escort grabbed hold of my arm. Come now. I tried to break free. Please hear me out. I shook my arm and twisted. They want to kill him. I pulled with all my might and lost my footing. Both the sergeant and me stumbled against the table. The ink bottle overturned and poured across the table and papers. The sick man jumped up with a mighty curse and several ugly statements about my character. They want to kill the general! I finally pulled free of the sergeant's grasp. I have proof! The man was concerned only with rescuing the papers from the spreading pool of ink. Sergeant! Remove the burp! this bird wet. Do not touch her. The commanding voice came from the center of the room. The sergeant stood at attention. The man with inky hands did too, swallowing hard and wincing at the pain in his throat. A figure rose from the high-backed chair that stood in front of the hearth. He wore the dark blue coat of an officer with the buttons and buckles that reflected the firelight. His features stayed in the shadows, but I could see a book in his left hand, his finger marking the page. Leave us, he ordered. Yes, sir, the sergeant said. As you wish, Colonel Regan, sir, said the man whose clothes were stained blue by the papers he clutched in his chest. When the door was pulled behind them, Colonel Regan returned to his seat. Come here, he told me. Show me what you've brought and tell your story. But keep your voice low. The walls have ears. Yes, sir. My voice strangulated a bit. The colonel tugged to his coat as he sat down. He was not wearing a wig, as did most gentlemen. His own hair was dark, pulled back into a neat queue and tied with string. His eyes were sunk deep into his face with dark hollows underneath them. Well... He set the book on his lap, fingering, fingers still marking the place he left off reading. I weighed my words before I spoke. I'm in a position to trade with you, sir. What kind of trade? My sister and I were wrongly taken from Rhode Island. I mean to get us back there. You want passage home in exchange for what you know? Yes, sir, I said, lifting my chin a little. Sir, he nodded gravely. If your information is as useful as you think it is, I shall personally look into your case, miss. That was far from a berth on a swift ship, but I had little choice. They planned to kill General Washington. He closed the book, set it on the floor, and leaned forward, his elbows on his knees. Tell me all. I handed him the list and quickly told him everything I knew. He interrupted a few times with questions and had me repeat the mayor's words. Then he bade me to wait by the dying fire as he left the room, and soon reappeared with four other men, all clearly dragged from their beds. I was fighting to stay awake myself, but I repeated the story to the larger assembly. A quarrel began instantly, the arguments flying across the room. "'How do we know Lockton didn't send her with a false story?' "'This just is a list of names. Anyone could have written it.' "'I know the mayor's handwriting.' And those are died in the wood loyalists, every one. I don't believe they've turned a lifeguard. Those men are the finest we have. This is nonsense and I'm going back to bed. Her story confirms what we've heard from our other sources. This was from Colonel Regan. He explained that several spies had brought him the same rumor earlier in the day. He walked to the hearth and looked at the glowing embers. All that remains is to decide what to do with the information. Who has the list? A man, wearing his uniform coat over the nightshirt, waved the paper in the air. Return it to the girl. Why on earth would we do that? he asked. I want her to plant it back where she found it. Tis best they believe their plan is still secret. That improves our chances of rounding them up. The man handed the list back to me. I thought for a moment about tossing it on the fire, for it suddenly seemed frightfully dangerous, but I folded it back in my pocket. "'Do you think you'll be able to return it to the desk?' Colonel Regan asked me. "'Yes, sir,' I said. "'If you hear anything else, anything at all, you come and find me, do you understand?' "'Yes, sir,' I hesitated. "'And you'll soon help my sister and me get home.' His eyes darted to his companions, then back to me. I shall do what is in my power, he promised. Thank you, sir. She'll need the code to get back into camp, said the man in the nightshirt. The new regulations go out at dawn. Agreed. Colonel Regan bent down so that his face was level with mine. Do not tell this to another soul, on pain of death. Do you swear? I swear. I whispered, The code is ad astra, repeat it, please, Ad Astra. I had never heard such a word, but then again, I'd never been before spoken a code. You know, two words ad astra it's Latin, it means to the stars. Will you be able to remember it? I never forget a thing, sir. That's the end of chapter 16.